Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We have a um, spread of ticks in Canada. It's been written about and talked about. And why are they here and how many are there and where are they and what are the different types and what can they cause? If you don't address the issue, our good friend Jason Tetro, microbiologist, the germ guy, super awesome science show podcast host, uh, joins us on the Roy Green Show. I always, I always really enjoy talking to Jason. He was uh, part of a national Lyme disease research group. Yeah, Lyme disease is one of the things that the ticks pass along. So uh, one of Jason's books is The Germ Code. We're going to talk about germs a little bit more in a different context on this segment. And carry a, a pick up where we left off last time with Jason, and that is how bacteria are starting to sneer at antibiotics and what that may uh, portend for us. Is that, a, is that a good word, Jason, portend? Is it a real word? Did I just make it up? Well, we, you can say portend, you can say confer, and that's what we prefer to say. So, oh. um, yes, so we're seeing more antibiotic resistance, yeah. uh, especially the genes and wastewaters, and that's conferring a greater risk for antibiotic resistance yeah. infections. I want to talk to you about that in a bit, but let's talk about this issue with, uh, with, the, with ticks. Uh, yeah. they're, they're, it's being said that climate change is causing it because um, they're surviving longer in the climate we have. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's really serious, or not, not serious, but uh, really can, uh, can nail it to the wall. But what's going on? Well, it comes down to two things. Um, the first is that we are seeing more um, species of wildlife harboring the ticks and that's spreading it around. And more recently, we've been seeing it in the raccoons, which is why now, rather than having to go out into the woods or, you know, um, and, and, and actually you know, become part of the wild grasses there, you may actually encounter a tick in your backyard. Because essentially, we now have um, sort of urban wildlife that are having more ticks on them. Uh, and then the second thing is that when the ticks are going to winter, they have to go into the ground and under leaves and everything like that. Now, if you get down to that minus 30 level and it stays there for like the 10 days, like we used to have way back in the day, and we would all complain about it. <laughs> you remember those days? Oh, I do. Yeah, day I remember. Let's, I, like, let me just tell you this. When I lived in Quebec not so long ago, we had 30 consecutive days where it hit minus 30. All the ticks died. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> that, was right? the only, that was the only saving grace of that lousy month. Oh, I, and, and, and the thing is, is, you know, the more that we complain about the fact that we've got this very, very low temperature happening for a, a minimum of 10 days or longer, we should be actually saying this is good because we'll probably have a very weaker tick season coming up yeah. because that's what, basically what we need. So the more that we have, you know, less complaining cold days, the more likely it is that we're going to have more complaining hot days in the summer right. where we have right. to worry about the ticks. Now, uh, you can call it whatever the heck you want, climate change, global warming, whatever it is, doesn't matter. If, if you're not complaining in the wintertime, then you're going to be complaining in the summer. Simple mm -hmm. as that. Yeah. So why do we have to be concerned about ticks? And tell us, look, there are people who have no idea what a tick looks like. Yeah. So essentially, um, a, a tick looks like a little sort of oval round thing with legs attached to it. And usually the front two legs um, are much longer and wider. Um, 
when you see them walking, it's it's fairly easy to tell that they're a tick. And, and I mean, if you can always just Google image search. I'll show you what the different ticks look like. Um, but the reason that they're a problem is the same kind of reason that mosquitoes have become a problem, and that is they tend to carry bacteria, viruses, and um, uh, protozoa pathogens that could potentially leave us sick. Now, at the very top, you mentioned Lyme disease. That's right. one of them. But there are a few few others that are in ticks that are growing in prevalence across the country um, with names like anaplasma, um, babesia, and Powassan virus. Now that last one, by the way, anyone who knows the Thunder Bay area knows Powassan because it's a little town outside of there. That's where this virus was first detected. And um, well, quite honestly, you just don't want that virus because it basically has a very low survival rate. So oh. this, yeah, it, 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 it's one of those, um, what we call flaviviruses. Um, and while some of them like West Nile virus uh, and Zika virus, you can survive when it comes to Powassan virus, if it gets into your nervous system and gets up into your brain, it, it's not very good at all. So this is one of the reasons why we just simply don't want people to get bit. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes when you get by, bit by something that's little, because you mentioned mosquitoes, right? A mosquito, oh, yeah. you get upset. You said, the little bugger got some blood out of me, right? And then you wipe yeah. the blood off. But ticks are not like mosquitoes. And if they get their back to the bacteria into your, into your system, like Lyme disease, if you don't treat it very quickly, you're looking at the potential for some very serious health issues that are going to trail you for quite a long period of time. Could kill you. Uh, uh, no, it's absolutely true. And, and the thing is, right, that when a tick gets inside of you, it's not going to be transferring over the bacteria right away. It's about 24 to 36 hours that it happens, which is why when you do a tick check, if you do see a tick, well, you you know, essentially put it into a, a Ziploc bag and send that to your public health authority. If you see it inside of you, then you've got to use these very small tweezers and get it from the head and pull it out. Because if you don't, then the head sticks inside your body and then you got to go to the emergency room or go see a doctor to have it removed. After those 36 hours, so from about 36 hours to three to six days afterwards, because that's how long they stay on you, about three to six days, then what's happening is that they're ingesting your blood, but they're also backwashing, which is basically the best way to call it, into your bloodstream. And that's where the bacteria, viruses, and protozoa can come in there. And then um, within a few days afterwards, you may start to feel a little bit weak. You may feel like you have flu. If you have um, the, the Lyme disease, Borrelia, uh, you may end up with what sort of looks like a, um, a bullseye rash, um, you know, all of these things. So you've really, really got to be, in, you know, careful on making sure that you're doing those tick checks. And of course, it will happen with your pets as well. So your dogs definitely need to also be checked. Yeah. Different types of ticks in different parts of the country? Yeah. So essentially what we're talking about with Lyme disease, which probably everyone's heard about, is the black-legged or deer tick. There are other ticks that are out there, and some of them will have different types of uh, pathogens. So if you're listening right now from British Columbia, Lyme disease, Borrelia, not so much a problem, but you're probably looking at Babesia, which is a liver disease, and it's really not something you want. So again, you may not have the Lyme disease problem, but you definitely don't want Babesia. And again, you start to feel that unwell sort of flu conditions, but then you may end up having a little bit of jaundice, and that's when you really need to be going to see a doctor. Yeah, and it's interesting the way you put it, uh, if you, uh, if, if you uh, have raccoons. I mean, raccoons now, 
bring yeah. the tick to you. Yep. Uh, right? We used to have to go out to find the ticks. We had to go to the woods and in the fields. But now we oh, have yeah. the animals because we're moving further and further, closer and closer, and uh, in, intruding on, on wildlife territory. So the raccoons bring the ticks to us. Oh, I, exactly. And one of the big things that was uh, a story maybe about five years ago. Now, I'm going to be a little bit Toronto-centric, and I apologize to the rest of Canada, but there's a really nice area of Greenbelt in the city, and everyone thought that that was safe. Well, apparently it's not. And the ticks are actually thriving in that area. So the reality is that if you have green space in any of your urban areas and you know that there is urban wildlife that's there, if you happen to be in the zone where um, ticks are surviving, which is, by the way, growing about 40 to 50 kilometers northwards every single year, then you're probably going to want to make sure that you're wearing the long clothing white clothing so that you can see them when they're moving on you, or make sure that you're always doing a tick check after you've been outside. Yeah, so, wow. Um, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now looking forward to the 10 or 15 days in a row in the wintertime when it's really <laughs> <know>. cold. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Whenever oh, I talk man. to parents about children getting infections and stuff yeah. like that, all of a sudden they're no longer my friends. Now weathermen are like, oh, I hate you, because now you're wanting people to look for really yeah. cold weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, Jason, when we were talking about ticks, the way to deal with them, if you have one and it's infected you, is antibiotics. But at the other end of the scale, the bugs, the germs, are increasing their ability to battle and overcome antibiotics. And the past president or head of the English health, public health care system uh, called it an apocalypse waiting to happen. We talked about it a bit last time you were on the show, mm-hmm. had a lot of response to that. Can you just pick up, I don't know where we left off, but just talk to us about that, please. Yeah, well, where we left off essentially was we're trying to find novel ways to be able to fight antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And, I mean, we're looking at it from a bunch of different angles. We're looking at disinfections so that we can clear surfaces and water and food so that you don't have to worry about them. Uh, we're looking at new types of medication, and in one particular case, it may not even be an antibiotic. It might actually be a virus called a bacteriophage. Uh, believe it or not, we are starting to see these little viruses um, being used more often to be able to help people survive these antibiotic-resistant infections. But I'll be honest with you, the best thing that we're going to be able to do is just make sure people don't get infected. <laughs> if you're not infected, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, so, so the overuse of antibiotics is really what has given the bugs the, the upper hand in, in many cases. Yeah, and you see, here's the big problem, right? Back in 2012, when we were sort of first talking about this, there was the opportunity for us to start reducing the use of antibiotics so that we didn't have too much of a problem. We had only seen back then only one particular strain of a bacterium that was resistant to all antibiotics. The problem is... We're 11 years later, we have quite a number of different bacteria that are resistant to all antibiotics. And the problem is, is that there's no one location where this is happening. This is happening all over the world. So if you get a bacterial infection, whether it be a pneumonia, a urinary tract uh, infection, um, or even just something like you scraped your arm and all of a sudden it's starting to get a little bit infected, the antibiotic that they give you may not work. 
And now we're having these what we call algorithms to determine whether or not a person will be sense, be able to use one particular antibiotic or if we have to use numerous antibiotics to be able to make this happen. We've, re, we've essentially gone past that point where we can just have to reduce our use. We now have to mitigate the fact that we have these pan-resistant strains. Yeah, and these, uh, these bacteria that we for decades now have been able to handle quite easily with antibiotics oh, yeah. are, are going to r- r- uh, cause a resurgence of, well, fatalities from problems that were easily resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're seeing this. Um, I, I still remember that um, I, I'd heard about this, I think it was in the United States last year. Um, a woman just had a simple urinary tract infection, and unfortunately, they just couldn't treat it. I mean, you're going to hear lots more of these stories. And the thing is that I'm sure that there's a number of people who are listening to the show right now who have actually had to go for a second or a third round yeah. of antibiotics yeah. to get rid of an ammonia. Yeah. Because that's just more and more common now. Yeah. So it, and it's happening even more commonly in Canada, even though, you know, at one time it was more the low and middle income countries that were suffering it. Now it's all over the world. So is the only cure then for this issue time and the opportunity for science to develop uh, other approaches to deal with bacteria or strength to get a super antibiotic strain going? Um, or what's what's the solution here? Well, the, the the solution really is to come up with a way of killing the bug without allowing it the opportunity to evolve to create some sort of resist some kind of resistance. Um, you know, we as humans evolve about once every. 20 years. That, that's essentially, you know, you, you, you grow up, you have children, that's sort of one step, one generation. Um, bacteria can do it every 20 minutes. <laughs> every 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, there's a strain called E. coli I used to work with in the laboratory, and we could train it probably within a day to resist any kind of antibiotic that Holy we wanted smokes. to do. What about artificial intelligence? How, how, how is that going to help us? You know, I always get such a kick out of that because at the end of the day, we think artificial intelligence is going to help us, but we can come up with as many ideas as we want using artificial intelligence on a computer screen. You still have to make it. Because yeah, as far true, as I know, yeah, looking at yeah, a computer yeah, screen yeah. is not going to get rid of your bacterial infection yeah. in your lungs. Yeah. Do, are you scared? <laughs> I mean, well, you, you I, always deal, you deal with these... The, Challenging issues, and you know what's going on in the microbiology world. Do you do you live in a? You can't be a, a guy who's fearful. It's it's not about being fearful. And uh, honestly, Roy, and I said this the last time. I, I had an antibiotic resistant infection in 1996. So, like, I've known about it for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I'm careful, right? And and I think right. that's really what it comes down to is. You want to try and be careful so that you don't run into a situation where you are at risk of having an infection, particularly a bacterial infection. And I know that a lot of people are going to be like humming and hawing because of the precautionary measures we took over the last three years because of the virus. And I have 10 seconds, Jason. Well, just be careful. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 